Hello. Bonjour. Bonjour. Ciao. Hello. Welcome to Fertility Insights, the Cooper Surgical Podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fertility Insights, the Cooper Surgical Podcast. Today's episode is recorded live at ESHRA 2022. After a hiatus, we're back live, and it's really great to be here in Milan. You might notice some varied audio quality as I speak to different guests around the conference centre, so I'm sorry for any background noise that you might hear. As our symposium focuses on advancing the future of fertility care, I was keen to hear how our guests have seen the field change during their careers and what research presented here at ESHRA would help to progress the ART field further. I'm lucky that my first guests are actually our speakers for our sponsored symposium. We have Jock Cohen and Tony Gordon. Please note that Jock is a paid consultant for Cooper Surgical. So thank you for agreeing to talk to us. Um, So you'll be talking at our symposium, which is focused obviously on advancing fertility care and the kind of future vision of IVF. Um, You've both worked in this industry for many years. What have been the main evolutions or change points that you've kind of pinpoint that you've seen during your career? Well, there's so many. Um, Well, first of all, it's become more complicated. So that we all expect it to become more simple, but it has really become more complicated with all these add-on technologies. And I shouldn't really use the word add-on because I don't like it that much. But well, you know, freezing is considered early on was was considered that way because of its probably it wasn't that effective. So that's one change. Um, the other change is very much the improved success rate, and and the focus on that by the our community. Um, so that's a big change because for the longest time, when you, when you actually work day in, day out in IVF, you feel that you're on a flat line, that it isn't really improving very much. I think that is changing now. But in the 1980s, I felt I was in a flat line. A year ago, it was the same as today. And, and of course, that was without really careful data analysis. So I really didn't know it, but it felt like there weren't the actual putting an embryo back, transferring an embryo, and the effect that had on the potential of pregnancy and live birth, it didn't seem to change much from year to year. Probably completely wrong, but that's what it felt like. So I think that has changed a lot. Um, but other things have not changed for the better. Uh, cost is, uh, we all, we're all talking about reducing costs, and it really hasn't happened. It's just getting more and more expensive. Um, so tremendous inflation in our field. Um, and we really need to sit down and, and change that. Um, and so I think what we are discussing in this symposium, some of that will drive, if those things come to fruition, such as uh, AI, that will really drive um, uh, the cost down. Kami uh, engineering would considerably drive the cost down. Basically, it almost, and I don't want to be, I don't want to say this is going to happen overnight. This is going to take decades, okay? But it will, it will close the clinic down. It, it can be something, you can do IVF basically from home and just come in and leave a blood sample. And uh, for both partners, possibly. Um, and, uh, you know, that will, that will reduce costs. But I think those are my, are my three buckets, yeah. So uh, Jack is uh, obviously massively uh, experienced and visionary about the embryology side, which I know very little about, so I'm not speaking about that. So my my, uh, view on life is genetics. And 
in the time that I've been in the field, the technology has been transformative. But that's the same as lots of areas of genetics. Uh, just you have the additional challenges of a single cell as we used to do, or now uh, five cells from a trifectoderm biopsy. But the direction of travel is data. The amount that we're sequencing is orders of magnitude more than we were doing a few years ago. And that's orders of magnitude that we were doing a few years before that. And we will be doing orders of magnitude more sequencing. Now, actually, talking of costs, there's not been a cost implication to that particularly, as Shaq says, but that's because the sequencing only is a part of the process and it's actually running a lab and all the quality management and all those parts of the systems and all the costs of the associate parts that have become as expensive as the sequencing. The sequencing isn't actually the major determinant as it was before. So we're going to produce more data. The challenge is going to be how you interpret that data. What's actionable? Does it actually impact on the embryos? And the other challenge is the more you understand, you only have one to three embryos per cycle <laughs> where we get into a situation where you know you have so much data and so many choices then you get stuck in a a, a, a complex situation of trying to choose between this embryo and that embryo uh, so there's there's some real challenges uh but i i think i'm an optimist like jacques the technology is going to keep on improving and keep on in you know keep on pushing us forward um, and it's interesting to hear you both mentioned the importance of data and how that's going to kind of keep um, changing the field. And um, how important do you think it is that that data is also communicated in a way to kind of the, the patient field as well as the clinician field? And how could that be improved potentially, the communication of that data? Um, well, it's a very good point. Um, I, I think we try very hard clinic by clinic, uh, provider by provider, really. We try very hard. But you also see that in in both in the UK and the USA there are there's national reporting. Um, it's 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 basically the law in, in the UK and it's basically also the law since 1992. It's a law in the United States, and that has become because of the the involving the professional fields, professional organizations. Um, um, it really has driven a system that makes it should make it easier for patients to understand. Now, I don't know the specifics in that when I look at the UK format, the HFEA format of data reporting. When you look at the USA, actually that is kind of failing. And for uh, more, more than 10 years ago, I had a little app running, uh, was free, free, freely accessible, called IVF reports. And that, that at that time, this is actually the end of the first decade, it's, uh, it, 2007, 2008. At that time, there were very few data points collected by the CDC and SART, um, but 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 enough to to really compare clinics if you wanted to. But that wasn't done by the organizations. The patients themselves had to do that. So we took the step, the bold step of actually doing that in an app, uh, importing all the data, and. Um, and showing and not actually comparing clinics and making a, a league table. We didn't do that, but we did give them scores. And of course, if you then take several clinics, you could compare scores. Um, and there were only two data points that we used, where we looked at the number of embryos transfers per clinic and the implantation rate per embryo. We didn't look at what everybody, when we looked at the tables that were compared 
and that were accessible to patients were pernicivate, per-act retrieval, per-embryo transfer, and, and very little live birth data. And so the patients were actually not looking at the parameters that were clearly the important ones, which is how aggressive are clinics, how unsafe are clinics, by, by transferring routinely three, four, five embryos. And, and what was, was their success, how successful were they by looking at one embryo at a time? So those were the two things we compared and made a traffic light system. It wasn't at all popular among patients. We, we just couldn't reach them. Um, but some, but clinics reached them, only the good ones, of course. Uh, that, that they saw that data and advertised it. So it really, it had, had a, it was an example of how difficult it is to reach out. But if I look at the SART CDC tables that are now come out each year, they have become increasingly complex, which is great in one way, but not great for patients. Mm. I think they need something as that old IVF reports formula. Now, there are organizations, one is called Fertility Pregnancy Rates or something, it's just those names, that have some draw that are trying to do the same and already did that 15 years ago as well. But they look at what what the typical clinicians 20 years ago were looking at, which is pregnancy rate per cycle, rather than, you know, really what is the success rate when you compare, when you look at age groups, for instance. Um, so there is nothing for patients that easily give them the opportunity to compare one clinic with another. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I, I, I think that that could be, um, could be taken care. I mean, the, prof the professional patient organizations, they should, take that on, but I don't think they want to, because they're subsidized by providers. And uh, so it would be really a bad, bad thing to, to look at providers as, you know, having different outcomes, which of course they do. Uh, the advantage of these systems are that they drive the community in excel, in excel, to excel, and that really is working. I think the discrepancy between the best and the worst is diminishing over time, so that's good. But for patients to understand that data, just looking at CDC SART, which is I do all the time, I have difficulties understanding it all the time. I have to tell, ask people around me, so how do I do this? Which is, of course, crazy. So it, uh, it's a very good question because it's very frustrating as a community to present the data. And the government should help us because both governments uh, have a mandate to provide data to the community and to potential patients. Mm -hmm. I think, um, unsurprisingly, I'm going to say something that is completely in agreement with Jack. You know, uh, transparency, uh, understanding how data is collected and understanding the way it's presented in consistent fashions is the, board, the job of regulators. And that's what you need. You need strong regulators in these areas that can actually do that. And you see incredible variability across the globe of how this works from countries that have no regulation of reporting, where every clinic is above average, to um, countries that it's mandated for every cycle. And that's what you need. But Jacques is absolutely right as well. As kind of scientists... Uh, and as to people who are interested in the real minutiae to try and improve things, we get lost in that. And patients want to see what impacts them in straightforward data. Uh, and it's very hard to do that because if you try and make it too simple, 
there's always the challenge that people say, well, you haven't represented it correctly. So it's it's a tough challenge to do. Uh, and I think that um, we, we haven't got there yet. Um, and, you know, sometimes regulators could be braver, that they know the performance of clinics and they tend not to actually give that in some of their uh, some of their databases so you know i think there's a job for them really to figure out exactly the way to do that but it's a great question thank you for listening to this episode of fertility insights please like share and comment please note that the views expressed by our guests are their own and their appearance in the podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent